Hello and welcome to Internet Lit. My name is Nick Argeris and this week I'm looking for the best book called The Baron and the Trees. To help me are two qualified high school English teachers, Ian and Joseph. Oh my God. My name is Joe Holscher. I usually go first here, but I don't actually have anything yeah. to say about this because this is a cop out week. I did not read Baron and the Trees. Ian Thank read God. Baron and the Trees. So I'll let Ian introduce himself here. Yeah, hello. Uh, my name is Dr. Ian DeYoung. I'm a qualified high school English teacher. I don't speak any Italian, but which is a problem because this this book is written by an Italian person in the language commonly known as Italian. But I do read books, and this is a book, so that's where we're at. Uh, this week, I brought uh, a recommendation, unofficial, unofficial lithead recommendation from Super Lithead Jeanette. I brought The Baron in the Trees by Italo Calvino. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> can tell he's italian because his name is italo right in the middle exactly what i was going to say that's like if your name was american nation <laughs> it should be do you guys think we should change our names to american nation yeah. i do i'm not a terrible book in high school for a women's literature class and i believe oh the main great, character's great name sentences was great fucking well, start okay. to that <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Let me take out the women's literature part. I read a terrible read this book terrible in high book school. In my, my race. That's right. And but anyway, I believe the uh, narrator's or the main character's name was Americus Nation. Um, and I imagine she was supposed to be representative of America as a whole. What book like was that? That, that sounds. Hey, good story. Funny. Hey, Joe. Hey, Litheads. Hey, um, <laughs> coming from you live from the tube, um, as you can hear by my audio. <laughs> but I just wanted to uh, walk you through. I'm currently in a hotel recording this podcast. And for the first time live on air, I'm going to try Dave's. Ah, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, oh, a big juicy pickle just <laughs> fell out of that. Dave's. Yeah. This is going real I'm going to eat Dave's good. hot chicken for the first time ever. Have you guys ever had this? I just spilled uh, half of it out of my laptop. It's like a, I've never had Dave's hot chicken, but that pickle looked good. That looked like a high quality like pickle. Let me give you a lifetime review here. Um, so you you open up, open it up, and they got lots of pickles everywhere. Uh, they they are good quality. They don't they're not soggy as you guys can see on the video. <laughs> Stiff as a board. Now I am going to eat directly into the microphone here. I'll let you know how it goes. Good. Hmm. Oh God, it's so crunchy. It's like an ambient experience, Nick. Joe, I'm so well, happy I'm well, hearing this in well, stereo. Well, Nick is Holy Joe. shit, this is good. All right. <laughs> Update. It's delicious. Why don't they have more of these restaurants this, everywhere? This week brought to you by Chick-fil-A. Where did you say it's from? Dave's, Dave's Hot Chicken. Dave's, Hot, Dave's chicken. Hot Chicken. Maybe if you had expanded to our hometowns, Dave's Hot Chicken, you would get our sponsorship. Joe, I want to kind of circle back to your comment about the child named America's Why? Nation. You said this was a book you read? Um, it was a character in a book I read. I think it was called Where the Heart Is. I'm, I'm, it's all coming back to me. So, Where the Heart uh, there's, Is. There's a, there's a movie. There's a movie called Where the Heart Is. Oh, it yeah. is a novel. It is mm. a novel. It's Great. like a Hallmark movie, um, I bet. I just want to call out, the reason I want to call out this book is that in the book, I guess in the movie too, this woman who's the main character goes to live in a walmart 
Right. Which is fun. Yeah. How is this more yeah. important than Dave's hot chicken? <laughs> Honestly. Um the 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 recent leaks recent leaks recent leaks have kind of suggested that Dave's hot chicken might be moving into the Walmart space. So mm-hmm. um We're all the kind of disrupting disrupting the sort of big box superstore with uh hot chicken concepts. Is Dave's hot chicken so. canceled mm-hmm. like Walgreens? <laughs> I, you don't know. You know, there's a lot of you know brands to keep track of these days companies if you will there should be some kind of ooh ooh what if there's like an app that you could scan the, the logo gotta whatever be it is, and it would tell you if tell it's canceled, you, or, canceled not. or not they should do that with authors yeah. because i feel like well it would be a pretty short app because it all be canceled but <laughs> <laughs> it just says all of them <laughs> uh, i'm eager to find out whether my author this week is canceled because i could i could see him not, either being canceled or not and i i didn't do any research on him I know Joe did some, so we'll see where that goes. This is an, uh, an abbreviated episode, correct? Not the way it's going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, whatever. Fucking rule number two. Well, welcome, <laughs> Lithead, to You Don't Know It, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast, where every week I go to a hotel and eat Dave's right <laughs> <laughs> It's like diners, drives, ins, and dives, but just Nick recording from different hotel spaces across the U.S. of A. And while simultaneously Joe and Ian recommend books. Normally we uh, we have two books, but on sometimes when um, we travel for work or Ian uh, decides to have a second child, we do uh, shorter episodes. Um, that's mm-hmm. happening soon, right, Ian? Yeah, well, you're kind of framing that like anytime Ian decides to have a second child, we can pop out uh, one of these. I just want to clarify this is... You've had three second children, right? <laughs> this is, God willing, the only time in my life when I will have a second <laughs> about to have a second like this is it this is the the one solitary moment in my life you are yeah. a dirty birdie um, okay anywho um. <laughs> we have some rules to keep this train wreck on track that's an ohio joke uh rule number okay. one only unavoidable spoilers rule number two omit need this worst joke and rule number three usually winning show. only winning matters but this week we're all winners um, Ian, tell us. And I just uh, want to add a quick shadow rule. Of course, if you have committed to a life in the trees, you should not step out of the trees. Uh, one caveat, you can step onto things suspended from trees or onto masts of sailing ships because those technically are not land-based. Got but it. you step on the land, Dude, you've you've lost him. So just keep that in mind, Lidheads. Right. Uh, there will be a test cool. and an examination at the end of the episode just to make sure you've you've kind of abided by those shadow. Rules. Is it an open book test? Because I've written it, in front of me, uh, just trees, uh, not no land, ships okay, and things suspended from trees like vines or or yep. bananas. Vines are great. Hammocks. Hey, hammocks, what's, baby? Hammocks. Yeah. What's your position? I'm gonna start asking you pr- your positions on things more. Uh, school related <laughs> to accelerate uh, our cancellation what is your position on open book tests because that to me seems uh like it's uh, i get it but also mm-hmm. just don't do the test don't call it a test yeah um, so so nick i think you're thinking of um of Mm, I don't know how to say this. I think you're thinking of kind of an old school way of teaching, right? Um, I think I would say, and I, I think Ian would say that as English teachers, we do teach content, but so often we teach skills in uh-huh, our classes. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. Um, our job is to for students to teach, to learn the skill. 
So it's not so much that they can recall what happens in America's Nation, the novel, or America's Nation, the um, the Walmart show, but instead that they can like sponsored by Dave's Hot Chicken. It, um, mm-hmm, write a thesis yeah. statement. Write topic sentences. Support their thinking, etc. Ian, now you I, answer the question. I've never, I've never actually administered. I don't think I've ever in any curriculum I've designed, I've included tests because it's just like not what you do in English. Um, mm-hmm. I will say that when I've been forced to give tests by other people in their open book, it's always because it's it's not because it's because we don't care about them retaining the knowledge. I don't care if in 50 years my students know that Hamlet call, cries a rat, a rat as he stabs um, Polonius through the curtain. I care if they have the skills to detect like, oh, this person is calling out injustice just like Hamlet does. Like I, right. I, I, I want them to I don't I don't care if they know what happens. I care if they know. Where um, the nouns are to put well, maybe, and the adjectives. Don't forget about those; those are important. But someday, if they're chasing their grandchildren around the living room and the kids hiding behind the curtain, and like they make a quick little offhanded illusion, and they're like a rat, a rat, <laughs> as they poke at him and tickle him, Ian's gonna be really proud. Yeah, that seems very specific. But yes, I would be very, very proud. If any of my former students are listening, I want to encourage you to just you know find those nieces and nephews, find those god godchildren, and just. You just kind of say a rat, a rat, and poke him with a curtain through the curtain with uh, put him in a curtain. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll start ranking the chicken sandwiches I eat live on on air, uh, like that one pizza guy that everybody loves. Mm, Papa John? No. (laughs) Yes, again. Yep. The other pizza guy that everybody loved. Um, Can I tell you guys about my book? I would love to talk about this. Yeah, please give us the back cover. Um, The year is seventeen sixty-seven. Cosimo, a young Italian nobleman, has been served a dish of snails. He refuses to eat them, climbs a tree, and doesn't come down for the rest of his life. Along the way, he catches pirates, falls in and out of love, gets a dog who is a very good long boy, and explores a whole bunch of forest. The Baron in the Trees by Italo Calvino is a weird, beautiful, thought-provoking character study unlike anything I've ever read. Was this a lithead recommendation? This I've never heard of this book. So it's not not officially uh, not not brought to you through the uh, sacred channels of the um, email form <laughs> on our website, which you can go to. Uh, you don't know litpodcast.com. You request a book, request a theme, request a sticky, all these things. Um, this was uh, a a uh, relative, an in law of mine, my mother in law. Uh, brought me a copy of this book and said, you should read this. And this was about a year plus ago. And I said, that's a great idea. And I put it on my shelf, fully intending to read it. And of course. Recent, recently found it. Recently found it and mm. dis- discovered, oh boy, I told her that I would read that. So, yeah, so well, she when, is- yeah, Mother's Day is coming up. You're like- Yes, mm-hmm. right. This is my gift to you, Jeanette. She is a, she's a, a major lit head. And um, we, we've already discussed this and I'm, I'm eager to talk about the book, which- uh, I, again, as with so many of these books, would never really have crossed my radar were it not for the kind offices of litheads. Did you discuss calling her a lithead? It's <laughs> a good uh, question. We just, that's one of those things you don't you don't talk about out loud as right, such. Right. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I might refer to my spouse someday. I might refer to my children as litheads, and mm-hmm. I just I don't right. think it's like meat. 
it's like factory produced meat. I don't think about it that much. I try not mm-hmm. to. I deliberately avoid thinking about it. Is what I'm trying to say. But um, it's a really it's a wonderful story. There's uh, the the base kind of the, the most easy easily attractive thing about it is just the adventures. There are a lot of radical shenanigans. There's barons. There's there's, well, there's the Baron. He's in charge of the trees. Okay, just there, one. There are fights with wolves. I told you there are fights with wolves. There's a part where the Baron is on standing on a mast, and he he goes to a ship of pirate ships. A sh- he goes to a pirate ship, and his uncle climbs onto the ship, and then some stuff happens, and he kind of sees his uncle floating in the water, and he tells his dog, "Go pull pull the uncle over to the boat." Come on, bring the uncle over here so we can climb in. We can go back home. And the dog Fetch. Fetch pull, boy. pulls the uncle over. And Cosimo says, don't don't pull him by his beard. Grab him by the nape of his neck. And so the dog obeys. And then it turns out it's just the head. The uncle has been beheaded oh, and it's his head God. floating in the water. There's okay. just like, well, there's just right. stuff. Hold on. There's just All radical right. shenanigans. Just okay. There's there's bonkers. bonkers. From the beginning. Or for more. A mia scusi. I... Ian, what is the plot of your book about? So this is a strange book because it's kind of more a character study. It's character study slash (laughs) character study slash excuse character study slash excuse for philosophy and shenanigans. Okay, so Mm -hmm. we have our Baron. His name is Cosimo. Early in the book, he gets mad about being told he has to eat a plate of snails and he's like, screw you guys, I'm going into the trees. And he climbs the trees. Well, to be fair, a plate of snails would be disgusting. Well, and these are snails that they have this weird sister who's been, who like torments animals. And she caught these snails and they tried uh-huh. to set the snails free. And she is like, nope, I'm going to torment them some more and then feed them to They're you. They're not ethical snails. No, right? these, like are, ethical they, snails these are, are very fine. unethically farmed snails. And so mm-hmm. he's like, I'm not going to eat these snails. And more broadly, I'm going to kind of throw off society's strictures i'm gonna do my own thing um and he climbs Number one, into- i'm not eating these snails number two to hell with society this is ridiculous <laughs> it accelerates it all quickly. started with snails uh, yeah but but you know the, I, I would say the snails are the straw that broke the camel's back or the snail's mm-hmm. shell um he just climbs into the into the trees and he never comes down he swears an oath he swears a vow he's like i am not coming down from these trees and he doesn't the book is his life story and things happen to him. He meets Napoleon. He um, learns about beekeeping. He this this feels like nonfiction. Mm, well, it feels yeah, like historical. okay. It feels like the, the structure sounds like a more like a biography. Um, mm. But it's not <laughs> like it's all fake fiction and a lie. It's it, it feels like a fable is what it feels like. It's like let me tell you about the boy that climbed into the trees and yep. never came down. Yep. Yep, exactly. The world revolves around him. He's the center of this world. We don't really get to follow other people, other characters. We don't really leave his home forest. Um, We do a couple of times briefly, but mostly this is just like Cosimo's forest, the stuff that happens to him. Like he grows up, he um, loves and loses. He uh, meets a brigand. Um, What's a brigand? Also, what's a baron? I don't know either. Uh, Baron is a low level kind of um, a low level kind of nobleman. Yeah. And I guess he's in charge of the trees is the idea. Right. Like he so goes up in the trees and he's in charge of the trees. He is not a Baron when he goes up. He's like a teenager. But then he goes up in the trees and he stays there. His dad dies. 
um, and his mom dies and he becomes the Baron. He becomes the heir or he is the heir until he inherits the barony and he just never comes down. Um, the people in his in his town know him. Some of them love him. Some of them think he's creepy. Some of them think he's crazy. Some of them think he's cool. But he just he just hangs out up there. And I like that this book seems to seems to kind of set itself towards a bunch of hijinks questioning whether he'll fall down out of the trees. Yeah, there's a lot of tension. Yeah. I bet. Like, he, are, there, are there a lot of moments where he almost falls out of the tree or does he like tether himself to the trees with vines to like make sure he stays up there? That can't be what this book is focuses on. It's is it, not. Is this, though. Is this just survival? Pretty, pretty early on. Pretty early on. Calvino's like, um, I'm going to tell you the one time he almost fell out of a tree and it, oh. he was saved by fate and he never got that close again. The end. I love that. He just dissipates yes, the tension right, immediately. Right. He's like, because you're going to worry about him falling out of the tree. It almost happened once. This is how it happened. It literally is never going to come up again. Don't worry about it. You guys know how in um this sort of, there's a genre of a genre of video game where you're the muscle bound hero who just sort of walks around doing quests and saving the world. Mm-hmm, that's what this, that's God. what this is. That's oh, what, really? that's the, that's the nature of this. It is a fairly limited map. Because he only can go as far as the trees let him. Um, Which couldn't get you very far. Even in a dense forest canopy, I think it would be hard to get well, from one place I'll to another. I'll talk about the dense forest canopy in a second. There was a, there was a thing about... Hang on. I got, Ian, I got a quote. What is the point of this book? Is this like a fun romp adventure mm-hmm. book? What is the overt message? What's the point of this book? At the time of the discovery of America, a squirrel could walk from the Atlantic to the Mississippi without touching the ground. So suck that. Um, Is that true? Yep. They checked. <laughs> I mean, basically, like the, the, the degree of the degree of forestation. Yeah. yeah but like this is this is, is wild. This is the point that I think I think one of the big things about this book is the idea that the the, the world, the world changes alongside us. And sometimes we can't see that. Then the narration of this book is really interesting. It's not from Cosimo's point of view. It's from his the point of view of his younger brother. Um, I'll talk more about that in a moment. But. Um, the world changes a- alongside Cosimo, but he doesn't want necessarily to change. Always, he goes up into the into the forest because he wants into the trees because he wants to be his own man. So when the for the world changes alongside him, he's not really super happy about. Sound that. like you want to be a squirrel? Yeah. What's the point of this book? All right. I'm well. I'm that, getting. To, I'm getting. Okay, to it. you're building. There. So, like, hey, quick pause. Did I, you know that the wife of a baron is called a baronet? A baroness or a baronet? Well, no, not a fucking <laughs> instrument. A baroness. <laughs> yes, I did. That's that's a great that's a great piece of news. Because <laughs> I I read a I read a book where there are baronesses. So what are they yes, doing? It's good. Yes. Um, the the point of the point of this book is that this is a story which can only take place at the time that it takes place. So the forests, the forests live and he kind of runs around those forests and um, pursues a life of intellect and hunting and freedom. But things are changing. Um, in the 1790s, some big stuff happened in France. Do you guys know what happened in the 1790s in France? Ooh, I know one thing that happened in the 1790s well, was it, in Joe? France. I assume that's when the French Revolution was. And yeah, they had right. yeah, way less right. barons. So, 
<laughs> and baronesses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Fewer. so Cosimo is kind of the last of this this era of the the Baron era. Um, he's the last of this old moneyed elite family structure where you know he can kind of lord it over the vicinity because of how he was born. Eventually, he kind of gives up his title of Baron. He stops being the Baron. He says, "I'm I'm a citizen now." He meets after the French Revolution. He meets Napoleon, who is ushering in this new kind of imperial thing. So the world he wants to live in a world that is according to his rules. But the whole novel is about him, the the world not conforming to those rules. He desperately wants kind of to be free to live his life the way he imagines it to be, the, the way he, he imagines it would be best. And it just it keeps not working. And eventually. The story ends with this kind of realization that the world that allows him to be to exist is ending. So there's a really sad moment towards the end. And you like, you know, it's coming when the Industrial Revolution starts and people start cutting down trees like crazy. Tree barons. All of these um, real ones, all of these kind of classic um, ancient forests, old growth forests are getting cut down and. You're like, well, there, there never could be another baron in the trees because, you know, the the ecosystem, not just the tree ecosystem, but the social ecosystem. ecosystem that supported him is it smells gone. like a sophisticated Lorax. Well, I think that Ian talking about this um, man who set in his ideals in a in a tumultuous time is a wonderful time for me to talk about his author's background. Oh, great, do bit. it. Yeah, do all it. right. I, I've got some fun facts for the author background here. Um, he is born in Cuba to Italian parents. Um, his dad is a tropical agronomist and botanist. And I get the sense that he came from like kind of like some like money in Italy is what it seems like. Like when they go back to Italy, they live on an estate and his dad spends the rest of his life um, tending to his, his avocado and grapefruit trees that he brought back from the tropical Dang, that sounds like a good life. It's pretty good. Um, wow. he, they live out in the state full of trees like this. He and his little brother would climb them and spend hours in them reading. But he was a bookish kid in a very scientifically minded Nerd. family. Like his parents were like gentleman scientists or gentle, gentlewoman scientists. Baroness. They're, they're baroness. <laughs> that's, that's what they were. They're a book baronesses. And this guy liked reading books. Um, he also grew up, like, kind of came of age right in the middle of the 20th century in Italy. And as long as we're quizzing each other on fun facts, do you know anything that happened in the middle of the 20th century in Italy? Any, anybody like 1944, 1943? Mussolini. Yeah, yeah. Um, he grew up in a family that had a lot of... Um, Marxist leanings. They were they were free thinkers, is what they wow, were. And they were, gro- now and they we're, were growing up Can't in a <laughs> well, okay. They were free thinkers. Like his parents were like Freemasons. Uh-oh. They believed in republicanism. They believed in anarchism and Marxism. Um, they were austere free thinkers with an intense hatred of the ruling national fascist party. Nice. So when he kind of came of age, they said, Hey, you should probably go to university and study agriculture. And he did that. Um, he kind of secretly studied playwriting while he was at university. Yeah. And then at a certain point, um, the Italian government came through and was like, yeah, you definitely have to join the army. And he didn't do it. 
he was a political objector. He would not join the Italian uh, fascist army and his parents were held hostage by the Italian government. Um, Whoa. The, the, the rest of the war. They took his parents instead of him. Where was he? I, I think they just couldn't get a hold of him. Like they were like, Hey, you're, dr- he was in a tree. You're dr- <laughs> <laughs> They're like, Hey, your draft number has come up. Like time for you to enlist. And he was like, yeah, I'm not going to that shit. <laughs> like no way. Take his parents and his little dog mm. too. All right. Yeah. His parents encouraged him to join the Italian, um, resistance, which he did. And he was a resistance fighter in the Alps for the rest of the war from like 1940, um, 44 until uh, until liberation. Um, after that, he returned to school, studied literature, and began publishing writing of his own. So he, this guy grew up like as kind of an outsider in yeah. in, in a political system that he didn't agree with. Not just um, in the in Italy, the nation of Italy, but also kind of within his family. Like he was this kind of bookish kid who liked hanging out in trees, and his family was like. Yeah, but you're going to study science, right? Like, because that's real. Um, and he's like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, no way, the, Dad. I'm going to write a book about trees. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to live in the trees. <laughs> and I'm going to write a book about trees, and I'm going to be famous. <laughs> it seems this guy had a crazy fucking childhood. Yeah. I mean, this is insane. His parents had crazy ass jobs. Yep. You know, growing up, and I was he born in Cuba? We'll just move past that, and then they made their way back to Italy. <laughs> Terrible timing. Terrible timing. <laughs> Terrible timing. True. They're like, True. we got to get back there. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder what's going on at home. And then he, and then he leaves again. <laughs> yep. This is wild. Mm. I mean, okay. So is is he the main character of the book, Ian? Yeah, is that I, I, the I idea, don't like or? doing that, but I think yeah. kind of, sort of, of yes. Of course you have to do that. This is so overt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think. I don't see any connection. I think. I think the risk with that kind of conclusion comes when we we say, well, it, it's like 100 percent. It's clear, like everything can map. Simplified, right? A, yeah. We've talked about a, a genre of novel on the show called the the Romana Clef, where it's the novel with a key. Hell yeah! Every every character corresponds to a real life character, and I think thinking about this kind of novel as a Romana Clef, that's a mistake. But I think he's not saying. And then this character, the illegitimate son. Uh, or the illegitimate brother of the f- uh, main father, Baron, who wears Turkish yep. robes and loves irrigation. He ugly robes. is mm. a reference to my schoolmaster. Like that's that kind of nitpicking is useless. But I think more broadly, the desire for freedom, the des- desire, the kind of like pushing against a parent who is maybe not unkind, but certainly has different expectations of you than you than you imagine. Um, and just like fantasy, right? This is, this is a, it's, it's a fantasy novel and I, I, there's gotta be some, some degree of like biographical fantasy here. If only, I mean, like we, we've all, this is the fantasy of running away that every kid has at some point. It wasn't written that long ago is, did he comment? Was he ever asked? He was, but he answered in Italian. So, and nobody knew it at the time. We'll never know. We'll never know. Hasn't gotten the kind of attention that I think this sort of book deserves, and in part that's because one of the biggest um, one of the biggest book markets is the U.S. And when you're writing primarily in another language, you got to deal like you're going to have smaller sales. Well, and let's be clear, writing primarily in another language as a like communist card carrying communist, like in post World War II, like you're not getting published in the US. At one point in his adult life, he was invited uh, to basically give a speaking tour on like, uh, 
like like a Ford Fellowship or something like that. Um, and it was like a big deal that like they were letting this Italian communist into the U.S. in the 19. It would have been like the 1960s at that point. I would say that this is uh, in a previous week, maybe last week, I talked about how uh, Shirley Jackson's book, We Have Always Lived in the Castle, is an ode, a paean to agoraphobia. Agoraphobia. It's an agoraphobic fantasy. In that book, agoraphobia is re- revealed to be super cool and great and a lifesaver. In this book, it's a it's an ode to freedom. He's trying. He's trying. He's he's he commits to kind of shucking off societal things. He does his own. He 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 goes his own way, and it's not always happy. In fact, sometimes it's very desperately sad. And he doesn't have everything he wanted. But he is free. Joe referred to this as like a, a off, off air, I think, as, as part of a, a genre of the philosophical novel where it's exploring an idea. And this is this this idea. It's, it's kind of a utopia. What would life be like if someone were able to live free of kind of that groundedness? If everything was if, if a life could be fantastical, it's it's like like any utopia. It's ultimately dissatisfied, un, unsatisfying. Uh, but it's absolutely engrossing to imagine that life uh, with without any of that connection, without any, being tied down. So, Nick, to answer your question, there is no overt message. The overt message is not eat your snails. It's not climb a tree. <laughs> um, it's it's an exploration, just like just like Cosimo gets to explore all the trees until he knows every tree, every bird. Uh, every um, every river and every brook in the area. This is an exploration. What would life be like if you were truly free? And the answer is better than you might expect in some ways and, and worse than you might expect in other ways. I like this book a lot. I appreciate the recommendation from Jeanette and Lidheads. Uh, go read some Italo Calvino. You will not regret it. Leadheads. If you want to help make more leadheads, you can do it the old-fashioned way, like Ian over here, or else you can do it like the the, the good old college try way by telling a bookish friend. Uh, you can also head on over to you don't know litpodcast.com where you can suggest a book, suggest a theme, request a sticky. Um, we love reading what you write in, and we love reading what you write in. Uh, beyond that, tune in each week. <laughs> tune in. I have no idea what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> Glad that worked out. <laughs> I, it makes sense in my head. Lidheads, you get it. These guys, they don't always keep up. Congratulations, Ian. Congratulations, Italo, Italio, Italo Calvino. Italo Calvino. Italo. All right. Uh, I'm going to read a, a passage. One of the chief delights of this book is its, uh, its nature descriptions, as you would expect from a book about the forests. Um, uh, every now and then, Calvino just sort of like drops the story and says, I'm going to tell you more about trees, baby. So this is uh, the first kind of major tree section in the book. I don't know if it's true, the story they tell in books, that in ancient days, a monkey could have left Rome and skipped from tree to tree till it reached Spain without ever touching earth. The only place so thick with trees in my day was the whole length from end to end of the Gulf of Ambrosa and its valley right up to the mountain crests. The area was famous everywhere for this. 
Nowadays, these parts are very different. It was after the arrival of the French, Napoleon's army, that people began chopping down trees as if they were grass which is scythed every year and grows again. They have never grown again. And at first we thought it was something to do with the war, with Napoleon, with the period. But the chopping went on. Now the hillsides are so bare that when we look at them, we who knew them before, it makes us feel bad. Anyway, in those days, wherever one went, there were always leaves and branches between us and the sky. The only trees growing near the ground were the lemons, but even among them rose the twisted shapes of fig trees arching their domes of heavy leaves over the orchards up toward the hills. There were the brown boughs of the cherry, the tender quince, peach, almond or young pear, the big plum, and sorb apples and carobs too, with an occasional mulberry or knobby walnut. Where the orchards ended, the olive groves began, silvery gray, a cloud tufted out halfway up the hillsides. In the background, crouching between the port and the rock above, was the village. And there, too, the roofs were feathery with the tops of trees, plain trees and oaks, too, haughty and detached, branching out, an orderly riot where the nobles had built their villas and walled in their parks. Above the olives began the woods. At one time, the pines must have dominated the whole area, for a few tufts still sprouted out here and there, down the slopes, as far as the beaches. The oaks then were thicker than they seem to me today, for they were the first most valuable victims. Higher up, the pines gave way to chestnuts, which went on and on up the mountainsides as far as the eye could reach. This was the world of sap, amid which we live. We inhabitants of Ombrosa, almost without our noticing it. Mm-hmm.